You're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Season 3. It's the Jason Isbell Season. So hey everybody, thanks for listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. That's what you're listening to right now. Even though we used to talk about, and we will one day again talk about, Bruce Springsteen songs in alphabetical order one by one what we're doing right here we're in the middle of a mini season about the singer songwriter jason isbell a singer songwriter that many have said could be uh the next generation springsteen when you say many have said you mean the two people who host this podcast i think that a lot of people said i've heard it um but i would hate to I, i can't cite any right now and i would hate to sound like that asshat who's cleaning out his office right now so maybe uh Maybe I should just say we have definitely said that he is our the next generation spring. Speaking of assets cleaning out their or assets. Speaking of asshats cleaning out their office, my name is Rob Carmack. And I am joined as always As always by JB Clark. What's up, man? Nothing much, man. Ready to do some podcasting from the ditch. Podcast of the ditch. Podcast of the ditch. (laughs) Indeed. All right, so this this is our third episode of our third season. Uh, in which we are doing, as we mentioned before, a mini-series on the body of work of Jason Isbell. So last week we talked about, or the first two weeks, we talked about his work with the Drive-By Truckers. Today we're getting into Jason's first official solo album, non-Drive-By Truckers album. So today, JB, we're talking about the album Sirens of the Ditch. Now, Sirens of the Ditch... That's right. Some basic facts to get out of the way here. Sirens of the Ditch was released July the 10th, 2007 on New West Records. And it was released sometime around the same time that it was announced that Jason would be leaving the Drive-By Truckers. And the thing about this album is, I always thought, until I started doing research on this, I always thought Jason gets kicked out of the Drive-By Truckers and is like, fine, I don't need y'all. I write my own songs. Goes into the studio and makes Sirens of the Ditch as like a spite record. But that's not what happened at all. Because when Jason starts working on this album, and like he is very much still a member of the Drive-By Truckers. In fact, most most of the at at that moment drive by truckers are on this album at some point. Pat, Patterson yeah, Hood is yeah. named at, who is the founder of the drive by truckers. Pat and who would later kick Jason Isbell out of the drive by truckers is listed as a co producer on this album alongside Jason Isbell. Yeah. So and Patterson's dad was on the record, and all of his crew. Yeah, it's a family affair. Like we got um, Brad Morgan plays drums, who's the, the the drummer from the Drive By Truckers. Shauna Tucker is the bass player from Drive By Truckers, who also for a time was Jason Isbell's wife. Uh, so each track kind of has its own lineup. This is not a four hundred unit. This is before Jason assembles his own band. So basically, Jason writes a bunch of songs and then assembles a group of musicians that he thinks will suit each song. So each song sort of is a piece piecework of whatever musicians Jason feels is is going to work best here. And so, yeah, he, he had started working on this album long before he leaves the truck, is kicked out of the Drive-By Truckers. And, and he has said that he wanted to make something that was completely his because he always felt like he was writing for someone else's vision. And we talked about the last couple of weeks, we talked about how when Jason was writing for the Drive-By Truckers, a lot of times Patterson Hood has a very specific singular vision for each, like almost like concept album per album. For the drive-by truckers, and so Jason felt like I, I'm writing these songs, and it's not that he doesn't believe in those songs; it's that he he doesn't feel like he's getting to say what he wants to say with those songs. So he decides he wants to make something that is truly his, and it just so happens that in the midst of this process, he also gets kicked out of drive-by truckers for substance abuse and not getting along with anybody. So it seemed like, from a public perception, it seemed like this was his. Like, I got kicked out of the drive-by truckers, and this is my this is my middle finger back to them but uh it, it was not that at all and it, it kind of feels like to me i think i feel like every group of friends has like that musician that could make it anywhere you know and everybody's just happy to be a part of that until that person realizes it and blasts off into outer space yeah and that's what kind of this feels like is jason trying to do his sort of own thing i mean he spent like three or four years you know putting it together and um just everybody from that from that muscle shoal scene and from his band um, really supported him in it, and it's great. Um, and it's just cool to see that he still hangs out with this group of folks. Yeah, you know, all these years later. 
And and like you said, you mentioned Muscle Shoals. This was recorded at Fame Studios in Florence, Alabama. So this is they they did not go to Nashville or L.A. or wherever to to record this. This is this is recorded nearby Jason's hometown. So it's it's a very I mean it 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 has Alabama just dripping off of it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's got um, so Patterson Hood's dad, um, Dave Hood was like the bass player in the fame studio sessions band so they played on everybody's records (laughs) you know like he's played on mavis staples and jimmy buffett and Etta james and levon helm and aretha franklin and bob seger and rod stewart he's played bass on everybody's records yeah cheryl crow we'll talk about her in the bonus episode oh yes we will um wilson pickett like billy ray cyrus (laughs) the beach boys Uh, didn't didn't he play at least one album with the Beach Boys? I don't know. I might be wrong. That might have been before his time. I don't see him listed. I, they don't, they're don't. they not listed. Okay, I'm, I must be... Because I'm thinking of the... No, I'm thinking of the Wrecking Crew. I'm so sorry. I'm thinking of a different group oh, of musicians okay. entirely. Yeah. Well, yeah, and so... Um, Spooner um, Oldham was also in that group. He was the organist. I mean, he does some great organ on this record, too. Uh, you know, he's also played with all those same folks and Jewel and, and John Prine. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that whole, um, scene is just, is just dripping with like musical talent. And, uh, yeah. So fame studios is, is, is there's a great documentary about it. Uh, the muscle shoal sound on Netflix. I've seen that documentary. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're like the boyish looking dude. With the sort of the gap in his teeth and the real like nice smile, yeah, from Fame Studio, yeah, that's Patterson Hood's. Oh uh, wow, dad. okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So you mentioned we, we were texting earlier, and it's funny when we anytime we text about what we're going to be talking about, there's a part of me that's like, don't don't tell me these things. You know what I mean? I want to be surprised. Say it. Don't say. But it. at the same time, I was kind of surprised when you texted and you said, you know what? I really like Sirens of the Ditch because I tend to my my initial response to Sirens of the Ditch is always this is his least interesting album. You know, it's he he's left the the Drive by Truckers. He's 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 already a good songwriter, but he's not quite like I feel like his his work continues to escalate and get better and better until he hits South Southeastern, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. But as I was listening yeah. to it today, I was realizing that you're absolutely right. This 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 is a much better album than, and I'm not saying it's the, it's certainly not the best of of his albums. Like again, like Southeastern is is a stone cold masterpiece. But uh, so so mm-hmm. it's difficult to talk about any of his albums prior to that to that one, um, with it, with any amount of praise without qualifying it. But at the same time, I'm listening to it and I'm like, this is a hell of a debut album for a solo artist. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, I love this record. Um, I, I, it's not, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Like I don't pick it out that often cause there's just, it's a, it is a deep well to pull from. And obviously something more than for your Southeastern, if I'm going to listen to a solo album, which this is less solo album than the rest of those are, you know, it's, it's something like a 400 unit preview, you know, the prequel with the fame band and the drive by truckers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of put it in the boat with Here We Rest and the 400 unit, those records, too. Everything before Southeastern, it's, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's just like Southeastern changed so much. It just opened them up. But you can, now that I've spent so much time with this, um, I can go back and revisit his early, you know, earlier records and hear um, sort of where all this great stuff is coming from. You know, I can hear like the seeds and the the little seedlings that he planted along the way. Yeah. I, I think Jason himself doesn't really love this album very much. Uh, for, for one thing, I, I went and I looked for every, like for every track I went and looked to see like how often he plays a lot of, a lot of these songs he hasn't played in over a decade live. Right. Um, also there, there's a, there's an Uproxx interview with him where he kind of gives his thoughts about like all of his previous albums up leading up to reunions and this one he just basically he he doesn't love the way it's produced and he produced this album himself and probably he he, alongside patterson hood and probably he would have been really well served to bring in somebody else to to produce this because i i listen to this and i think like 
God, what would what would a well? And even he has said like he and Dave Cobb, who currently is his go to producer, kind of he's kind of the go to producer in Nashville right now. And uh, he, he said he and Dave Cobb like sat around listening to this, and and Cobb was like, "Why do you have so much going on in like some of these songs?" And he's like, "Because I produced it myself, and I didn't know what I was doing." And so like I, you know, I I, I can only imagine what a Dave Cobb or like a Brennan O'Brien or or someone else might have been able yeah, to sure. do with with these songs you know or even at today jason because he produces you know he, he produced one of my favorite american aquarium records and you know he's done a bunch so yeah but um but yeah that every i think every creative needs a different editor to come in at some point especially for his first outing as a solo artist like he, I, but you know he had it in his head at that time especially the kind of guy he is and the kind of stuff he was going through that, like he had to do this for himself for sure and we know and of course we know that at this moment he's deeply uh kind of entrenched in substance abuse and like that's why he's about to get kicked out of the drive-by truckers and um and he, he will talk a lot about how those first three albums there's a, there's a lot going on with him that he he's tried to really really hard to get past and so like he's he's doing a lot of drugs he's producing his own album he's alienating all of his friends and his bandmates so he's um he's probably not in the best place to be making the kinds of decisions that a producer probably needs to be making yeah, this record could have been how to take how to take Dale Carnegie's advice and throw it in the trash. Yeah, it, it could. So <laughs> <laughs> how to not win friends and not influence. Yeah, people. how to alienate literally every person you know. So um, anyway, so I I really like the album title. I think the title of the album is really clever. The and and the 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 title of the album for those who don't know comes it, it, it's an allusion to Greek mythology because a siren in Greek mythology is an evil seductive force that draws people to go willingly to their own doom. It's like in the Odyssey. And and so I say and the ditch is like a creek for people who ain't got money for a creek. That's right. Yeah, d- the, yeah, the ditch is country for like the, the dashed upon the rocks, you know, basically. Yes, it's also where you wind up uh, if you have a substance abuse problem and maybe a little bit of musical mania. Yeah. So basically um yeah, so so yeah. basically so, the title of this record is is a, Jason's way of saying these are the forces. The 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 common thread on this album is these these are there are these forces that call us to drive ourselves into destruction, into the ditch. Like we drive ourselves into the ditch, not because, not because we're trying to be self-destructive, but just because we can't help ourselves. Like we we are drawn to our own. Yeah, this record's about the self-harm behaviors that we engage in that aren't as obvious as cutting. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's a good good way to put it. So. Uh, and yeah. as I was listening, and you know, one of the things that we do is we look for common themes anytime we go looking for an album, and that is the common theme. It's about our uneasy and often violent relationship with, like, self-destruction and death. And so, um, and, and not every song, like, hits the bullseye in that theme, but but he is clearly, like, wrestling with those ideas and those notions, and that continues to show up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's you know we you know we've said that we we're not crazy about it, but also like in the in the terms of the rest of his catalog, it's got two of his you know big time good songs on here. Um, and I guess let's, you want to jump into it. The first one I think is a brand new kind of actress. You said you heard of me, so why are you so afraid? Some minor changes made. You miss the big parade, another filthy day, another Hollywood sign. You miss the caution line, and you just walk right in. You walk right in. Which is more appropriate today than it's ever been. Yeah, I was gonna say we're recording this the, the day after the news broke that Phil Spector died. Um, right, that um, famous murderer and manic abuser Phil Spector. Yeah, uh, died. Yeah, I, there were a lot of headlines that said like Grammy Award winner and troubled past Phil Spector or whatever, but like no, he was a murderer who also happened to be a music producer when he wasn't and a murderer. Piece of shit. One of my favorite <laughs> tweets today was like, I'm sure somebody would have come up with a reverb in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, he was he was um, he was the Harvey Weinstein of his age. Yeah, uh, even before he committed murder, he was already not a good guy. Like uh, he he kind of like very famously like torpedoed uh, Darlene Love's career. Um, there, there's there's lots of stories of uh, musicians who were sort of under his control that he um, 
abused and mistreated in a myriad number of ways. So, so yeah, so this, the reason we're talking about Phil Spector is that's, that is who the song is about. Jason, Jason has like very explicitly said that this is about the, the troubles of Phil Spector because the person that Phil Spector murdered was an actress by the name of Lana Clarkson. And, um, and, and it's funny because like we talked about Phil Spector in our bonus episode when we talked about the Ronettes because uh, Ronnie Spector was, who was the lead singer of married, she was Spector. married to Phil Spector. Um, so first of all, let, let's let's talk musically, and then we'll get back to Phil Spector. I I dig this song musically a lot. Um, the, my biggest complaint about this song is that it's too long, and I think a, I think a, a good producer would have been able to tell Jason like, "Hey, shave about forty five seconds off of this, and you got yourself a good pop song." You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, one of the things I like about it is how it's so kind of cow punk. It's so punk. He just. It's clear in listening to this record that he's he's like Springsteen that he listens to everything. Yeah. And if you follow him any you know his career or his Twitter account or anything, he listens to absolutely everything, and um, and it sh- it really really shows. Um, like I remember saw I saw him after I'm trying to remember the name after this rap act that I'd never heard of, and it was a very rambunctious act uh, with with lots of uh, colorful um, descriptions. And he, he came out on stage right after them, and he was like, had a blast dancing with my daughter to, I forget the name of the band. He was like, that band, you know, does it. Now, we got to we gotta have some talks about some words. <laughs> but, whoo, those beats or something like that, you know. And it was just like, this dude loves music. He loves everything about music. Yeah. Um, and so hearing that punk in here, it was cool. But then also, you know, when those first harmonies come in, you think, you kind of notice like, okay, he does this differently than the drive-by truckers. Um like he's he's not into um the spirit of harmonies. He's into very clean. You know, the drive by truckers are not like clean. They're like they're a cow punk band, you know, like their whole brand is like we're kinda of down to shit, you know, and so like hit this is just cleaner immediately. Yeah, this is if you will, this is a brand new kind of sound for, for Jason as yes. well. Like this is not I mean, it's not totally different from the drive-by truckers, but it's different enough to make you go like, oh, like, yeah, he did have a different vision. Like, no wonder he felt like he needed to make his own stuff. Yeah. I just realized I should have um, said that this was going to be a brand new kind of podcast. <laughs> brand new kind of podcast. Like, it almost feels like ACDC a little bit at first. There's a couple of ACDC moments on this record. I do like the guitar. I I, th- I think he's really showing his guitar, guitar chops here. Yeah, and th- not even so... Like his his licks here, but his like ability to just get a really clean tone out of a really dirty guitar. Yeah. Um, it's just it's really hard to get something that fuzzy, but then to make its sort of rhythm chords that are sort of plucked that fast sound so clear. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you gotta you gotta mix it really well because there's a lot of other sound that you don't want <laughs> coming out of that amp, you know, because that guitar is so crunchy. Yeah. What about the what do you want to? I mean, we're not really reading lyrics, but this one's kind of important. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, and we mentioned before that this song Jason has talked about how this song is about Phil Spector and the murder of Lana Clarkson. And you mentioned before, like I'm sure, like th- somebody tweeted, like I'm sure somebody would have come up with the idea of reverb. Um, I, yeah, I, for the wall of sound. Yeah, and <laughs> and I love there's a, there's a verse in the song where he says, "You greasy little guy, I don't care what you did in 1965 before the wife and kid. I'll leave my jacket on. So sorry, I can't stay. Just put the piece away." So basically, like. I love he says, you greasy little guy, I don't care what you did in 1965 before the wife and kid. Like, okay, yeah, maybe you produced some really important albums and maybe you've got your name on some stuff that is iconic to music. But also you killed somebody. So the things, like all those accomplishments don't really, I mean, I, I, like I don't care what you did. Like some, like you said, somebody would have come up with reverb, but Lana Clarkson is still dead, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so yeah like he's, uh, like, Sure, you produce some amazing albums, but you're also a murderer, and we're not going to let you off the hook for that. Um, just because you you happen to also have been a major creative force in the history of rock and roll, you don't you don't get to just skate from that, right? That doesn't make you good. What's funny also is it's even kind of produced like a Phil Spector song. song. There's a big wall of sound. There's hand claps. Yeah, you know, it's almost like he's saying you're not as special as you think you are. <laughs> like I like I can I'm Jason Isbell. I'm I'm this is my first album. I'm producing this and I can make a Phil Spector sound. But I yeah, I'm it's the first track that. on the first song um, of his first solo album. Yeah, is it, him just being like, we can all do it. Yeah, um, it's just about mic placement, Phil. It's not about killing people. Yeah. 
So w- w- what else? What else from the lyrics stand out to you? That that line just really gets me. That that sort of section, the the, the bottom third, if you will. The greasy little guy. I don't care what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Just put your piece away, man. Yeah. The just put your piece away. Um, put your piece away and let me call my cab. What an interesting. Um, what an interesting front door. Like we've talked a lot about how the first song is the thesis statement of an album, and so it's interesting to me that the the thesis statement of his f- first album is about a guy who was a musical genius or arguably a musical genius or lauded as a musical genius, but also was so self-destructive that his contribution to music really should not be the thing that we're most focused on when we talk about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. And when newspapers mentioned his contribution to music this week after his death, like the, you know, there was a pretty serious backlash (laughs) between people saying, you know, from people like me saying, it's not what he was. He was not a Grammy award-winning producer. He was a murderer. Yeah, it's like saying Charles Manson, known musician, <laughs> aspiring musician yeah, Charles singer, Manson. Singer-songwriter Charles Manson. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Charles Manson didn't do that from a position of power. It's I'd say it's almost not as bad. <laughs> well, yeah, Charles not Manson Charles never Manson actually killed person. somebody. Like he always like had other people kill. Like Phil Spector like straight up killed somebody. Right. Um so I guess we're not 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 to sit here and defend Charles Manson. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like it heard it here first. Um, so, so what do you make of the title? I, I've been, I've been struggling with like, I don't, I'm not totally sure what I think the title is about. I think it's like from the perspective of her, that she's a brand new kind of actress. Yeah. It's almost like, um, maybe that what got her killed was that she was like, "Mm, no, I'm, I'm a new thing. I'm, uh, not going to put up her, her greatest crime was that she might've overshined Phil Spector. Yeah. I mean, his his history of abuse towards like people, like specifically women who were talented, like kind of kind of yeah. lends itself to that interpretation for sure. Certainly does. Um certainly does. So so um, he drove himself into the ditch, you would say, by by being a, a piece of crap and Yeah, well you got to think someone who's like lauded for their musical achievements and who is trying to go th- who is trying to like fight some demons um, might, you know, see someone like that and be like, well, you know, can't get that bad, or at least I'm not that bad, or even see it as a warning, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, uh, you know, Jason wasn't, like, in a good space mentally, necessarily, you know? He was going through some pretty terrible stuff and treating some people pretty terribly. It, and so. it does make me wonder, like, did he, was he so frustrated about the idea of Phil Spector because he was wondering if he was becoming a type of Phil Spector. Like, not not yeah. in the murderer way, but but in the, like, I'm kind of burning all the bridges, you know? Um, yeah, abusing your collaborators, kind of. Yeah, like. and I'm, like, and I, I think Jason's confident enough to know that he's a talented guy, and um, and that, that he knows he's talented, but also that he knows that his talent isn't the most important thing about him, that how you treat people is actually more important. Like, th- that's, yeah. that's a pretty interesting thing, to again, to open your first solo album with. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads us to the second track on the album, which is called Down in a Hole. Standing in the window with his tongue hanging out Like the king of something evil in a year-long drought With a dirty white suit, a big white hat A bullet in his pocket, no matter where he's at He's troubled, but ain't we all Have you read the comic Southern Bastards? Yes, I love that comic. <laughs> this reminds me of that. Like any sort of like boss hog tale. <laughs> yeah, just like in a like like a crazy, like dysfunctional football town. Yeah. Yeah, just like a southern boss who moves into town and buys it all up and turns it into mines and coats everything in soot and Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so covered up the county with stone and creosote. Yeah, so the the song seems to center around one particular individual who's wealthy and has systemically caused the erosion of an entire town. Sort of like a more personal version of death to my hometown. Uh, if yeah. we're if we're comparing it to Bruce Springsteen, so like this this one guy, like this this big boss guy, uh, cigar chomping guy, has has left an entire community quote, quote down in a hole. But he's seen he's lauded as like this VIP. So everybody kisses his ass because he's the guy with money. But at the same time, like him coming into the town, like he he has stripped the town for all the life that it has in it 
and the townspeople have become dependent on him, but they become dependent on him because he has, like, like a vampire. Like, he's just sucked the life right out of them. So, I'm just remembering this, but there's this, if you drive through North Alabama, there's signs. that You see, we see a lot of Vulcan material supplies signs for the company and you see a lot of signs that like it's like ask me how vulcan ruined our home or something like that oh wow all over the area but i mean also just north alabama tennessee uh you know north carolina west virginia north georgia they're no stranger to like you know somebody selling their land to a big company and and it having a lot of negative consequences on the rest of the town like that's the flip side to TVA. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that was a little bit, like, some people thought about TVA. That's one thing I didn't mention last week. That was something people, um, TVA had to build a lot of dams. They had to get a lot of land from a lot of people who had, like, family land, but who were destitute. So there was a lot of animosity also. I don't know if y'all, <laughs> if you've seen um, the Jason, um, what's his face, Netflix show, Ozark. Um, there's some of that sort of element to the whole thing. Okay, I was thinking about uh, Justified, like the second season of Justified, where the big yeah Justified the, the, big time there too. The, the the coal company comes in and they want to like blow the top off the mountain, you know, yeah. um, because they they want to get more coal out of. I mean, this is, this is one of the oldest Southern stories. Yeah, is is uh, people coming to town? To I mean, any city in the South, you go to like a meeting and they're talking about how they're gonna. Um, lower all these taxes and make all these sort of concessions to let companies come in and abuse them for the, you know, sacrifice them to like the, the, um, political platform of jobs. Right. But they're not necessarily making the community better, you know, yeah. maybe just making everybody sick. Um, and some people do it well, some people don't, you know, whatever. It's a whole, it's a whole political issue, but that's what this is about. Sort of is like that person who comes to town that, that sort of, that person who's, who's running things. Um, who gives thanks to Jesus for the shape that he's in, but you know, yeah. who's, who's covering the town in stone and crease. So. It's like, he wants to make the town great again. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that. It, the lines about his daughter too, almost make you think like, is, is that actually his daughter or is that symbolism for it all? Or is it that really on the nose <laughs> Southern trope of someone living out, um, just the ironically symbolized life? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, the, like he he brought his family to town. Like not not only has he sort of like taken advantage of the town, but his daughter sort of like has has her own kind of thing going on, you know, at her level. Yeah. Um, man, how Bruce Springsteen? I don't is understand the five will get you ten. Oh, it's very Springsteen. Yeah. <laughs> that line five will get you ten. Uh, I think it like I, the expression is like fifteen will get you thirty or something like that. Yeah. Uh, like don't hook up with someone who's underage. <laughs> I don't understand five will get you ten. I think it's a betting term, like for a hundred percent odds, maybe. I don't. Know. Yeah, I don't but know that expression. I, but I think it's a mixed metaphor. Interesting. Yeah. Both of these songs, by the way, brand new kind of actress and down in a hole. Jason has not played these songs live since two thousand nine. Yeah. So it's been which the album came out in two thousand seven. So he, um, if you will, ditched these songs pretty early. In his live yeah. set, just basically, just the minute, the minute he had enough stuff to like make it through a whole set, he was like, "I'm not doing those two songs anymore." <laughs> not doing it. Anymore. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about try? You can't make a woman sleep alone. You can't make a woman sleep alone. You can't. Try, I think this is my least favorite song in the batch for today. Like, I, it, it's fine. It, it seems it seems to be a song uh, to an abusive partner about how he treats the, the, this woman in his life. And he seems to have a lot of power and control over her. I could be reading it wrong. Um, but I don't know. It, it doesn't really speak to me quite as much as the, the first two songs did. What about you? What do you think? I, I think he's like, I think it's a really good first draft for a lot of great later material. Yeah. What's interesting is he has played this one. Like, this one has been in the rotation. Uh, he, he, the last time he played this was in 2018 in Birmingham. Well, I mean, imagine this would be a fun song to start a show off with mm. because of the guitars 
and the drums. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like musically, I, I guess my yeah, note would under work. musical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under musical notes, it just says metal! Exclamation point, all caps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it quickly becomes not metal anymore. I think it just kind of loses focus. And I think the music... I think the music and the lyrics are kind of two different things. But I think it's... I think he's, you know, trying to figure out some toxic masculinity stuff that he'll figure out how to, to speak on better. Yeah. As he keeps writing. You know, it's just... He's just not quite there yet. It's a great first draft, I think. I think so, too. And it, it's just that, I, like, there's so many songs that sort of explore this territory. I always think of, like, Better Man by Pearl Jam. Like... Yeah. Like there's lots of songs that, that deal with this and, and explore it really well. And I'm not saying it's totally out of place on this album. Like, you know, it, it does sort of deal with like uh, abusive partnerships and like, you know, how some, sometimes we find ourselves in the ditch and we don't know how to get out. And just like that, the the yeah. theme, it's it's consistent. It's just like you said, I, it, just, it feels under it feels underwritten a little bit. Like it feels like he could have he could have worked on this one a little bit more. Yeah. I, and not to say, like, if I sent you this and was like, hey, I just made this, I think you would text me back four days later when you finally listen to it and be like, <laughs> you did the drums? You'd be like, you did the drums too? Huh. But it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you'd, it'd be better than you thought it was going to be. You yeah. Know? I don't I but, don't dislike it. It's just, like, of, of yeah. the songs that we're talking about today, this is the one that gets me the least. Well, I think it's something we talk about with Bruce's songs a lot, is, like, this is an early version. This is him, this is him latching onto a good idea and a good riff and... Not quite. Not quite. It's come on, let's go tonight versus factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. I get that. Um, so speaking of songs that can be edited a little bit, uh, this is a shorter song. I think it's great. Um, but as far as like what uh, Jason was talking to his producer about, like this song is is a becomes a very big wall of sound. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty cool. It's like he's. It's trying just sonically really hard really busy yeah i think it does a good job of sort of like every the the um piano and guitar like are um all their chord changes and strums are happening at the same time and so it kind of drives everything and then everything else is like sort of dissonance playing in and out of that you know with the organ and and um some some cool sort of like almost sounds like some organ cabinets on some guitars or something uh-huh. So there's a little dis- dissonance coming in and out of that, but um, it's not like a. It, he's he's working with the wall of sound. He's working with some stuff that he's going to figure out later. But it's this is I think one of those moments where it's like okay, yeah, there's there could have been six less things happening in this track for sure. Which is again kind of funny. Like if you start your album by writing a song about Phil Spector, then that's going to sort of that we're we're gonna we're gonna be thinking about Phil Spector a lot. When so like anytime you you hear any sort of like wall of sound, you're gonna wonder like is this an intentional sort of like callback to the Phil Spector song or is this a different thing? You know? Yeah. Um, I think it's a really nice little song. Though. What try? I don't know. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. I was, I thought I transitioned neatly into Chicago prominent. Oh no, I did not know that we were talking about Chicago. So, we, so right now we're talking about track four, which is Chicago promenade. My door is locked. My debts are paid. I'll do the Chicago promenade My back was turned, I did not see That shadow climbing up on me I took my turn at fixing hearts but Right, I was. I think you were talking about Try a little bit. I was talking about Chicago. Sorry. So... Um, earlier we were talking about editing <laughs> tighter. Speaking of editing tighter, the song Chicago Promenade is a little busy sonically, even though it's a tighter, more pop song. Um, Interesting. It's got some like dissonance in, in and out of the piano and the guitar, like with the way the organ and the rest of the stuff works. It's nice. It's like a nice wall of sound, but it's it's a little too busy. I... I really like this song. Uh, th- this is a very personal song for Jason. He he has said that this was about the death of his grandfather, wh- which happened while he was playing a show in Chicago. And so, oh. it's a uh, so it's a song about death, basically. And in fact, there's a there's a verse in the song that says, "If I die now before I'm old, my story will be less than told. There's so much more to suffer through before I meet again with you." So he's he's singing to his grandfather about, and I love that he defines life as suffering. There's like. 
I have like I can't die now. I have there's I have so much more suffering to do before I can die. Yeah. You know, and so that's it's pretty dark and it's it's pretty um glass half empty. But it's he's he's feeling a certain kind of way about the fact that he was on the road in Chicago and wasn't able to be with his grandfather when he died. Um but I think it's pretty. I really I, I like the song. Yeah, it is really pretty. Um he has not played this one since two thousand eleven. So it also does not get a lot of uh, attention in the rotation. Um, do you want to talk about dress blues? What can you see from your window? I can't see anything from mine. Flags on the side of the highway and scripture on grocery store signs. Maybe eighteen. This song is so beautiful and sad. This is, I think one, this is one of his like best songs that he's written. This is this, I, in my opinion, this is the best song we're talking about tonight. Yeah. So when this came out, I was nineteen. My friends were dying in a Hollywood war. Yeah. That everyone was forgetting about, except to tune in like every other Oscar season to watch someone lose their mind and leave their family, you know, on the, you know, the big screen or whatever for a war. And so, this was like this was on. The minds of my generation. Yeah. Which I think Jason's sort of on the top end of. This is, um, by the way, this is the most Bruce Springsteen song we're talking about tonight, too. This 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 song reminds me so much of, like, Gypsy Biker and Devil's Arcade, you know? Yeah. And even um, um, Good Men Are Hard to Find. A good, yeah, Good Men Are Hard to Find, Shut Out the Light. Like, all, all the songs yeah. about, like... Like yeah, I guess Good Man is hard because because it deals with the death of a soldier. So, yeah. Well, and not just because it deals with the death of the soldier, but from the perspective of the town or the people he's leaving behind. Right. Which which is why it always to me it always calls back to Gypsy Biker. Yeah. Um. So so this is uh, this is actually about a very specific fallen soldier. Do, do you know the story about this? I don't. Okay. So there, Jason, there's a whole article in American Songwriter Magazine about this song. And um, and th- this is I'm, I'm gonna read I'm gonna read an excerpt. This is gonna make a lot of sense out of the song. So th- this is just an excerpt from the Jim Baviglia article in American Songwriter. It says Isbell wrote this song after hearing about the death of Marine Corporal Matthew D. Conley, who was killed at age 21 in Iraq in February 2006, along with Second Lieutenant Almar L. Fitzgerald. When their Humvee rode over an improvised explosive device. At the time of his death, Conley, Conley, who was a football star at the Alabama high school Isbell attended, had been scheduled to go home in a matter of weeks to be reunited with his wife, who was pregnant at the time with their first child. And then it quotes uh, Isbell. It says, uh, Jason says, I knew Matt Conley not very well. He was a few years younger. He explains, I was coming off a tour with the truckers, and I called my mom, and she told me about his funeral, which she she had attended that day. And when I got home, I wrote "Dress Blues" in a time it took it takes to write it down on a piece of paper. So this was deeply personal. It's about somebody that he like was a couple of years behind him in high school at at his school. It was a, it was a football star who was just a couple of weeks away from coming home to his pregnant wife uh, when he was killed in his Humvee in Iraq. Yeah, man. Um... This song tears me up, dude. It's very sad, and like you said, like like we we were both. So, I mean, because this war has gone on for so long, like you and I both, both yeah. knew people or um, are of the generation who who watched people that we knew go off to either go to Afghanistan or Iraq in the aftermath of nine eleven, and uh, either not come home or come home deeply shaped by what they had yeah. experienced. Yeah, man. Um, that line. You- when, when he um, your wife said this will all be funny when he came back home in a week you turned 22 which is to imagine have gone going through that kind of stuff before being 22 and we celebrate you in a bar or a tent by the creek and your baby would just about be here and your very last tour would be up like he was so close to living the American dream <laughs> and he died in, not in sacrifice to it but in sacrifice to some ideal that has nothing to do with that you know yeah just and so then you won't be back and they're all dressing up in black and drinking sweet tea and styrofoam cups which is like a really specific image to me well and which is another thing that 
is evocative of, of like a Bruce Springsteen type song where he, he, he adds these like little details and little pieces of flair to sort of help you like close your eyes and really imagine yourself in that space. Like the more specific yeah. he gets, the more universal it feels. And like, I don't know if this is everywhere, but if you've been to a funeral in Mississippi or in like East Texas, you you're wearing like stiff khakis and a you know and a black button down that's either too big or too small, right? They never fit just right, <laughs> and you're full of okay, you know, food that you ate in the fellowship hall with you know that the old ladies made for the family special. And they and you're just drinking like half warm, way too sweet tea out of six ounce styrofoam cups. You just can't not be thirsty. You know what I mean? Like you just can't get enough tea or water or whatever. And it's just like the little six ounce styrofoam cups that they keep in the fellowship hall is like the saddest part of this whole song <laughs> because it it just reminds me of that. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's a very true uh, piece of imagery that that he puts in here. Yeah, um, this one, this song still shows up in the set list sometimes. The, the last time he played this was October uh, 2019 at the Ryman. Yeah. So, and that sounds like it was a long time ago, but let's remember that it's been almost a year since anybody's played any shows. You know, so right, right. Uh, October 2019 is a lot more recent set list wise than than it sounds. Yeah. So yeah, man, th- this song is. It, it it's gut wrenching and it's so good. It, I mean, this is yeah. Also, the line about there's um, red, white, and blue in the rafters, and there's silent old men from the core. Mm. Yeah, that you know what I mean. Like in the back of every funeral, there's like the two guys in their in their you know little Marine Corps hats. Yeah, or their little Air Force hats, and they're just you know they they are Bruce Springsteen characters. They're guys who made it back. Yeah, like guys that you see like coming out of the VA or, yeah, yeah, yeah man, yeah, it's a good song. It's a real good song. Yeah, it it's powerful. Me every time I listen to it. Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah. This this is his Gypsy Biker for sure. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, then um, we go to track six, which is if you have the vinyl, this is when you flip the vinyl. Um. We're not gonna do. We're, we have. We only have two more songs. We we had to break it up kind of weird because there's so many bonus tracks that we have to talk about next yeah. week so uh so that's why we're we're not stopping where we flip the vinyl so we, if, if you have the record you flip the vinyl uh and so track six here is a song called ground last night i heard the siren song and i followed it in the ditch oh baby i'm just carrying on far be it from me Yes, that is tracks. And no, you're good. Uh, There's a pause, and I didn't know what to do. This is no. I always pause to make room to play a little clip. Um, so, oh, this is this is where the album title comes from. This is where, uh, and so the the first verse of the song. Uh, makes mention of Sirens of the Ditch. Right. And basically this, the, not basically, this is overtly a song about a girl who took his virginity. Her, her name apparently is Sunny. Uh, I don't know how like specifically autobiographical it is. It feels very autobiographical. Um, but it's basically like this, this, this woman made me into a man. And so, uh, so now I'm, I'm grown and uh, you know, and the, the last time the song was played was in 2017, also at the Ryman. Um, this, this is one of those songs that makes you feel like he could have been sort of like one of those Southern cute boy singer songwriters. Like it's almost there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's almost one of those early John Mayer, like Ed Sheeran, but um, bum, bum, but um, bum, bum references purple rain, which is a song that no one who listens to those kind of bands listens to but knows about so they're like haha culture well and uh, you know what i mean like it's one of it it really could almost fit into that well and mentioning purple rain is like the subtle way of saying that she was older than him you know what i mean like because he's yes. he's a little young to to have been somebody who was really into purple rain um well and if you didn't catch it in that line the next line is you took my little hand yeah 
so he's yeah he's trying so. he's trying to show that this is like an older woman who's uh, guiding him in a certain way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and you do sort of think like with with a different kind of producer. If, if the say if the person who had produced John Mayer's Room for Squares had produced this, then this this could have very easily been like a radio song. Well, yeah, the oh 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 oh, you made me feel so great. Yeah. This is your body is a wonderland. Yeah, I mean this like this could be a Vance Joy song, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like totally, totally could have. Uh, I'm glad it's not. I'm glad he went this route. I'm just like this. The man is multi talented. I remember in high school, uh, I really loved the band Switchfoot, and then I found out they were like world championship surfers or something, and I was like, what? I'm not even one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that he could have been like a, a, a you know just like a rightful star as a metal musician or a punk rocker. Or, you know, advanced, a Southern Vance Joy or whatever. Like, that just, you know, it's like, come on, man, share a little bit. Yeah, he could yeah he could have carved his own path in whichever way he went. He, he yeah, maybe if you're going to be that good, don't be so damn charming. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so true. So true. Um, he er- I guess he's earned it a little bit, though. He's He's been through He's it. been through some stuff, for sure. Yeah. Well, do you have any other thoughts about Grown? No. All right. Well, then the last song we're talking about today uh, is track seven, which is called Hurricanes and Hand Grenades. I got a glass of wine. I got a cigarette. I should be feeling fine. I ain't feeling nothing yet. She's leading the second line. Like I'm in front of it. Yes, I am tonight. Is this song about the drinks? I think it's about lost love. I, th- I think th- I think this oh, okay. is the other side. I mean, I, you can make the argument that they're all a little bit about the drinks. Um, well, I meant the drinks, hurricanes, and hand grenades. Oh, it just—that's what you like. It just kind of—it doesn't mention it. But it feels kind of New Orleans, and if you're in New Orleans, like you drink hurricanes at hand. That actually, I'm glad you said that because I didn't even think about that, and that makes a lot more sense than the actual title, hurricanes. Because because the song clearly is set in New Orleans because he mentions the second line, um, mm-hmm. and and so I like hurricanes in in 2007, a reference to New Orleans. Like that's that's not a hard connection to make. But the hand grenades part, I thought like what is what is that supposed to mean? But if if it's a if it's a, a specific mixed drink, then that may, that actually helps kind of clarify that to me. Yeah, well, and also, I think, just like everything else on this record, it's about blowing it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it is. And, and this is almost like the, the other side of the coin from Grown. Grown is a, a romanticized version of, of like, a, a kid losing his virginity. And this is, it's about regret and obsession over a lost love and about, like, the damage that they did to one another. Not, I mean, it's almost like Grown meets Try. You know what I mean? Track six meets track three. And with, with some, like, deep regret kind of sprinkled in. Yeah. Um, and that's Oh, yeah. So the line is now hurricanes and hand grenades are the only thing that gets you off my mind. Oh, okay. I get. But I'm a day away and I've got a show to play in Birmingham tonight. Okay. See, I thought it was like it takes something, like, deeply extreme, like a hurricane or a hand grenade. Like some, something explosive and destructive to even make me stop thinking yes. about you for a second. But I, I did not I even for one second occur to me that he could be talking about mixed drinks. I think it's both. But the thing about hurricanes and hand grenades is they're like deeply destructive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, we well, it's, one uh, thing we the know. New Orleans version of the walk me down for you Memphis folk out there. Uh, it, or like a Long Island iced tea where it looks like a, a Coca-Cola, but it's just booze. <laughs> um, and you're like, how can you put that many clear liquors in a jar and it come out brown? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. So, so yeah. So, I mean, and and now we know, like, yeah, th- this is his most self-destructive phase that he's in the middle of, and so he has a a song that is about drinks that are destructive, you know, that are named after yeah. destructive forces. That's yes. interesting. He, by the way, he's not played this song live since 2010. It would not surprise me at all to learn that he would never play this song again. Yeah, <laughs> knowing now what I know. Yeah. Um, man, I'm glad you brought your your knowledge of drink, uh, you know, drinkology into this oh right new orleans booze um i don't really have any other thoughts on like other than it just being a new orleans sounding type song i don't really have much to say about this one what do you what about you i will say that down in the hole in hurricane and hand grenades is 
while they're not like great blues, I think are like better electric blues than most of Springsteen's attempts. <laughs> better than uh, I, the uh, Night with the Jersey Devil. The Night with the Jersey Devil. <laughs> yeah, but most of those attempts, and that's a thing I, I think I like joke about a lot on the Springsteen side of things. But you know, these are you know decent examples. Uh, these are closer to like the Muddy Waters anthology sounds, you know. Yeah. Um, then then this is a, a I think a more appropriate. Um, this is a more appropriate appropriation, I guess. Well said, well said. It is a, it is a, it is a good digestion of 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 blues and reapplied to sort of that North Alabama Hills, um, sort of swingy vibe. So, okay, I think it's a very nice. Uh, if you're like me and you're kind of into like Southern geography and also music, um, it's a really good sort of taking it all and putting it in muscle shoals nice yeah so, so what if if we have to like say like best and worst here like are we in agreement the dress blues is the best of, of the songs that we yeah, talked about tonight 100 percent. yeah and then if if you had to if you would ditch one of these songs which one would you get rid of like groan or try yeah i'm try so it sounds yeah. like we're we're on the same page here yeah. Um. So yeah, man. Overall, Sirens of the Ditch, surprisingly good album. You know, like great. Yeah. I I don't, I don't know why I should say surprisingly. I mean, it's Jason Isbell, and I mean the guy the guy writes a good song. What are you gonna do? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like it. Uh. All right. Well, I think is that it for us for tonight. Yeah, that's all it. right. Um, check us out in the bonus feed if you're a patron subscriber. We're gonna be talking about um two songs or two records off of the Rolling Stone top 500 records of all time list. I'm super excited about the ones we were, we're, we're talking about tonight too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if you're a patron, you can, you can join us over there. And if you're not a patron, then you can join us next week where we're going to finish talking about Sirens of the Ditch, including all of the bonus tracks that were released on the reissue of this album. So, um, lot, a lot of bonus track material. So if you're a Jason Isbell completist next week is, <laughs> is going to be critical. Um, so, yeah, you can follow JB on Twitter, Letters Clark. You can follow me at Rob Carmack. And, um, you know, thanks so much for listening, JB. And not, I didn't mean to say thanks for listening, JB. <laughs> thanks for listening, JB. Thanks for listening, period. JB, comma, yeah, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enjoyed it, man. Yeah, man, me too. And uh, we'll pull this thing out of the ditch. And then we'll see you all <laughs> next time when we talk about Sirens of the Ditch, part two. Everybody have a good night. We'll see you later.